Christmas. Definition. A composer of songs. Duke Special, also known as Peter Wilson, is a singer, songwriter and composer based in Belfast, Northern Ireland. His romantic style, distinctive accent and vocals have earned him a loyal fan base and a string of successful albums, including Adventures in Gramophone and Songs from the Deep, which went platinum. He's curious about music, theatre, books, poetry, art, love, life, redemption, death and 78. He has released 16 albums and EPs, toured all over the world and has been involved in a diverse array of projects, including writing the music for Deborah Warner's critically acclaimed 2009 production of Mother Courage and Her Children at London's National Theatre, and being commissioned by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York to write a series of original songs based on photographs for an exhibition. His live performances have a theatrical style inspired by vaudeville and music hall and often incorporate 78s played on an old-fashioned gramophone or sound effects from a transistor radio. We really hope you enjoy our interview with Duke Special. Hi, Peter. Welcome to Songsmith. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for being on Songsmith. We kind of always want to know, you know, how people got started in songwriting. I did see interviews where you talked about, you know, your first instrument was the piano, but you toyed with the idea of like a guitar album and finally embraced the piano as well. But did that kind of, did the instrument and the songwriting go hand in hand or did one follow the other? Various epiphanies over the years kind of influenced me. The first, the biggest one was probably seeing the Beatles performing in a film in 1981, I think it was. They performed um, Hide Your Love Away. And I thought, whatever that is, I want to do that. And I'd been going to piano lessons from when I was seven. So the piano was my kind of uh, go-to thing. And then I realized um over a period of time that uh, you could express yourself and you could make up words and you could make up melodies and you could put the two together so um that that was the start of it really uh, music was really big in my family uh, all my sisters three sisters all sang and played stuff and listened to records and uh, so that would have been a big influence as well yeah, you can you can definitely hear the Beatles, you know, or a McCartney kind of influence in a lot of your songs, especially the kind of parlor kind of music songs that that McCartney is known for doing, you know, around the time of the White Album. Um, yeah. Did you did you go through a period of um, playing cover versions, or or did you go straight into trying to write your own songs? Um, well, I, I while I was starting as Jig Special, and even before I was playing cover gigs in Belfast. Uh, all kinds of places like background music and restaurants, full-on student nights, um, kind of little bars all across the city. So that that was a really useful thing, experience to go through because uh, I think I learned there how to sing for a really long time <laughs> was part of it. But also I was learning repertoire. I was learning all kinds of songs by Tom Waits and Ray Charles, Sam Cooke, Bob Dylan, 
Neil Young, um, all kinds of music that I I kind of absorbed and learned. And um, that, yeah, I, I think that was one of a, a number of apprentice apprenticeships kind of that I that I did. In, you know, when you're talking about music and lyrics, um, I'm always interested in is it music first, lyrics first, or do they come together? Or are you starting off with a, a theme or an idea in your um, songwriting? I, I think the hardest thing is to know what you're writing about. <laughs> uh, and I, I think with the piano, uh, different to a guitar, uh, you don't really come up with riffs so much in the piano as uh, opposed to if you were a guitar player. So all all the notes are kind of there. So the, the tough thing is knowing what it is that you're writing about. So I find a, t- a title really helpful to be able to kind of go, okay, I'm, I'm going to write about this, even if it isn't kind of directly, you know, about that title, the phrase or whatever it is that you have kind of launches you on a trajectory of, of ideas and just throwing down little experiments, I suppose. So generally I, I find the words uh, are at least one draft of the words is the way I start. And then that, that gives you the, the kind of template on which to put the music and then of course the the first draft of words are usually um, not not the most amazing so uh, i would go back to them then numerous times to to tweak them and, and kind of come up with better ones or a second verse or whatever it is we're always talking to people about you know you know these songs that maybe you can pull out of thin air and someone said recently that sometimes it's actually you're just working on a song in your subconscious how long does it take you to actually kind of get to grips with the song or finish a song is there would you say there's an average time it takes you funny i've been writing the last couple of days and uh writing with a friend and we, we got together and we, we had a like about a three-hour session one week and then a couple of weeks later another three-hour session and that generated about six or seven ideas yeah. and then it's taken me uh, probably two days to finish one of them and today to finish the second one but that was also uh kind of making drum patterns and you know all, all different instruments but two or three days uh, to to kind of get from the first initial idea to the final thing. And it's always different. Yeah. <laughs> it could, could be like in a, in a one sitting. Um, it, I suppose it depends how free or how inspired you feel. But a, a huge amount is play where you just go, okay, no kind of boundaries, just go for it and don't edit anything, just fire lots of ideas down. And then, of course, you, you got to pull, pull those ideas together. Um, but it, it's kind of it's different for everyone and different depending on what instrument you play or if you are in a band where you're coming up with riffs and things and then reacting to that, that that's different from a solo artist I think is that why you were maybe drawn to projects where there's already a team in place like say Huckleberry Finn or you know some of the other projects you've done where there's already a team there or there's something to kind of hang music on yeah n- not so much a team but it Certainly, there's there's been quite a few albums where I've reacted to a, a source, mm-hmm. um, like a source of inspiration, whether it's a, a theatre piece or um, a group of photographs or uh, a collection of poetry or, or whatever. That, that gives you something to, to kind of write about. Um, I, I wrote a few albums early on, which were about my own experiences and my own kind of thoughts. And um, that's what I'm doing at the moment. 
but yeah, there's been quite a few in, in between, which have been about other things. And I find that really helpful because you never have writer's block then. You've got something to respond to. We talked earlier briefly about the kind of song group that you, that you guys are involved in and the idea of setting themes. I think, I think that's a brilliant way of moving stuff around inside yourself. The truth is you, you generally write about yourself anyway, even if it's about something else. I find those exterior uh, sources really useful. Uh, under the Dark Lot, Boo Hewardine was about a series of photographs, I believe. That's probably something where it's quite open that you've got probably hundreds of photographs to pick from and you can kind of just come up with ideas of what this, what the story is in those photographs. And that must have been an interesting process. Yeah. Um, well, with, with Under the Dark Cloth, there were literally hundreds and hundreds of photographs that, that we could have chosen. But um, and it, it's great fun to go through and go, OK, this one deserves a story. This one deserves to be made into a song because the the subject matter is so rich and so interesting or so funny. Um, so I, I find find that is one reason. And then of course you're drawn to things that um that you re- that resonate with you, that that you're interested in already, I suppose themes that perhaps haunt you. Um so that, so again, you would be drawn to particular um, subjects or images or people or whatever it is that that kind of uh, tick that box. Actually, on that album, Under the Dark Cloth, my favourite song is um, The Cherry Blossom Girl. But what was interesting for me when I was listening to it, there's almost a kind of an Asian melody or something when you're singing it, I thought initially. And I, I kind of imagined this Japanese cherry blossom tree and a girl. And then I was doing a bit more research and I was like, oh, it was in Central Park in New York. Yeah, and it had nothing in it, and and it was I I did feel that that's kind of what the image conjured up in my mind, and then kind of combined with your kind of lovely accent, your beautiful Northern Ireland accent, it just felt really magical. Can you tell us more about that song? Because what I had in my mind was completely different to actually what the story was. That that's so interesting because uh, I I love the fact that the listener kind of completes a song, you know, and completes it, and you know infinite ways you know whoever is listening will will draw their own kind of reference points or or meaning to a song um that that, that song I, I knew i wanted to write something about that photograph it, it was yeah a really beautiful photograph of this little girl pulling a sleigh in central park in february time in in new york and a photograph by paul strand so that one i i sent the photograph the image to uh, a friend actually from Cork, a poet <laughs> called uh, Padraig O'Tuma. Mm. And uh, Padraig um, wrote a poem based on the image and sent me the poem. And then I kind of reworked the poem and added stuff and changed things. Um, and that, that's, that's where that came from. She lifts and drops her boot-clad legs that shiver Going no place fast, going no place Cherry blossom girl, oh February flower Cherry blossom girl, I'm under your power again 
you know, from listening to the album, you seem to have like, you know, gone from like writing more personal songs in your earlier albums with like adventures and gramophone and songs from from the deep forest to songs kind of written about a specific subject matter, like Hello, which are is about like Michael Longley's poetry and the silent world of Hector Man. So you just mentioned there you've kind of come back around to writing kind of about yourself or more personal style songs as well. So I did, I was interested to see, you know, do you dip in and out of different kind of either themes, subject matter, or how you're feeling? Yeah, it kind of goes with whatever opportunities, I suppose, um, present themselves. So I'd done Adventures in Gramophone, then Songs from the Deep Forest, and, and I Never Thought This Day Would Come, which were all about kind of personal things, I suppose. And then I got invited to write music for um, Mother Courage and her children. And that that was a massive kind of shift for me because I'd never written for theatre. I'd never written about, you know, written music for other people's words. And and this was Bertolt Brecht, my goodness, uh, completely out of my depth. But I ended up doing that. And yeah, like Opinier record was more about myself and, and other subjects as well. Um, Lookout Machines was kind of a personal record, but then, yeah, as you say, in between, I've done Under the Dark Cloth and Hollow, and um, so I, I find those kind of project-based things really exciting, and um, yeah, they, they bring you somewhere that you wouldn't have otherwise have gone, so you end up um, being changed by them as much as you responding to and manipulating those sources. You're, you're changed by the things that you, you encounter, I think. Yeah, we have a Cork link with uh, the songs of Mother Courage and her children in Fiona Shaw. Ah, was, yeah, of course. Yeah, so she yeah. was in the, and the first Cork woman in uh, Star Wars as well. So we're kind of <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> I love the um, I love the farmhouse song from Mother Courage and her children. And tell oh, us the, a bit about that. That got axed from the, from the actual show. <laughs> really yeah yeah it's one yeah. of the best songs no yeah yeah i really, really like it as well um but yeah it's on the record so is it just it didn't suit the um whatever scenes and stuff that are yeah i mean the, the, there's so much kind of up for grabs in, in um theater um different lines or different scenes or different uh ways of presenting so uh it was an incredible experience to to watch the director deborah warner kind of build stuff up and then just scatter it again and then try different building something else up in, in rehearsals and and uh, shattering it um so mm. very similar to i think songwriting and you just have to what would what would this look like if i did this or if i wrote this and then you you just do it and and see what it looks like and then go okay i don't like that go on to the, something else or throw in a different idea so a huge amount of play i think mm. but that's i suppose that's the danger of theater or tv is that you know you could get your song placed in a movie and it's perfect and it's an amazing scene and then the director just decides we don't need that scene and you're, and it's gone you know yeah i'm sure that yeah. happens to a lot of artists yeah i'm, I'm sure it does um <laughs> it hasn't happened to me because i haven't had anything in the film but <laughs> yeah I, I, I bet that does happen did you write that song, the Farmhouse song, just for that, or was that an idea you already had, Yeah, Yeah, I wrote it for it. I mean, it's Brecht's words translated by Tony Kishner, but I put the music to it. When wild geese go flying 
before the winter storm. The autumn rose is dying. Our roofs in need of fixing. Of moss and straw we're mixing. The stuff to keep the parlor warm. For when wild geese go One of the songs I actually really, really like is um, the Flesh and Bone Dance from the album I Never Thought This Day Would Come. It has this kind of carnival um, New Orleans. I, I, you know, have to confess, I've been watching yourself and Chip and the rest of them go mad on stage for, for that song. It's so much fun. I almost felt it could be like a Tim Burton movie kind of a thing. How did that song come about? Yeah, I from recollection, I wrote it with a friend, uh, Ben Hills, who is in a band called Aqualung. And yeah, it, it definitely had a carnival-y kind of feel to it. And I asked a friend called Thomas Truax to guest on that. And Thomas is an amazing uh, songwriter and inventor and performer. He creates incredible drum machines made from bicycle wheels and all kinds of weird it, it is very tim burton-esque or david lynch actually yeah. um in fact he, he did a whole album of david lynch songs um but so thomas is on that as well so yes it, it, you're you're right to uh, suggest that it has a kind of very carnival feel You're known for being very collaborative, um, you know, working with the likes of like Paul Pilot, like Chip, Bowie, Redoyne, Neil Hannon, and even like traditional Irish music like um, Ulad and Planet. And what do you think makes a good collaboration? I think uh, respect, first of all. Um, both parties need to like what the other does. And then a sense of experimenting to see what happens here and not be too precious about anything or assume that something's going to happen or, um, yeah, take some chances. So uh, I think it's those dual things of respect and uh, adventure. Speaking of duel, which is a nice segue into <laughs> yeah. the actual duel you had with Neil Hannon on, on a TV program. I watched that today and it was brilliant fun. You, you seem to have a very kind of good relationship with Neil and, I mean, there was this fake rivalry in, in the uh, TV show. Can you tell us about that or working with Neil? Yeah, i um, massive fan of Divine Comedy and of, of Neil's songwriting. I think he's one of the best songwriters ever. Um, yeah, a real kind of wordsmith in the style of Cole Porter. Mm. Um, equally, someone like Stephen Merritt from Magnetic Fields, that, that kind of ilk. 
so I had the opportunity to support uh, Divine Comedy on tour in 2006, which is a really long time ago now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we did a lot of shows together. So just out of the the, the back of that, uh, I got Neil, asked Neil to collaborate in a couple of things. And then he had the idea of um, having this duel, uh, dueling pianos, uh, which was for, I think, the Simon community originally in Dublin. Mm. And then that went really well. And then it became a, 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 t- a kind of TV show. Did you tour it out as well? No, no. It was, it was just just a, a one-off gig in, in Vicker Street. That would make then... a fantastic tour. You should <laughs> dig that up again. I implore anybody listening to this is go onto YouTube and look that up. And actually to see him singing your songs and you singing his songs, it was really nice as well. That was a really nice touch, I think. Yeah. I, I remember the... Uh, for the publicity for the live show, uh, I went into a pub uh, where he was sitting, and I challenged him to the duel. <laughs> Excuse me, I, I and I went over and cut off his tie, and then he threw a pint of water over me. And oh, that actually yeah. happened. That actually, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But we tipped off a lot of different press people to, to be there, kind of witnessing it. But I think it was just lucky timing, actually. So. At the end, we just hear the ominous sound of gunshots, and yeah. we don't know what happened. Is did you well, win? I'm I'm obviously here, so, <laughs> so we'll see. We haven't, we haven't seen Neil since, so I don't know. <laughs> he's disappeared. <laughs> I'd like to ask, um, you know, you, you're such a unique artist. Like, you know, it's I suppose you don't fit easily into any kind of one genre. Um, you've been described as kind of romantic and theatrical and inspired by vaudeville and music halls. How would you describe your own genre? Do you have a description? How would you describe yourself? Uh, I don't really have a description. <laughs> I, I play piano. I like gramophones. Um, I work with uh, an amazing percussionist and the songs sound like something from before rock and roll, but they w- certainly wouldn't exist without rock and roll. Yeah. So I don't know what genre that is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's probably nail on the head there. <laughs> this decision to sing in your own accent. Yeah, it, it was a decision because when I I joined a band when I was 19 uh, in England and went over and that was my first experience of recording properly. And they kept getting me to, the producer kept getting me to soften the vials and, and not... Um, sound like a you know maybe sound like it was from mid Atlantic somewhere, and like if I, if I heard any any of those recordings now that they're absolutely horrible because it doesn't sound like me. So I, I'd kind of uh, done it to survive, uh, changed the way I sang or or I was steered in that way. So when it came to singing my own songs, when I came home. I was not banned for a couple of years, uh, but when I came home, I thought I'm gonna sing with my the way I sound when I talk, and then obviously hearing people like Van Morrison who were singing about places that I knew and and landmarks and and his voice his accent was coming through occasionally. Um, that kind of I felt kind of given permission to to sing in my accent, but of course like. Yeah, why wouldn't you? 
Mm. Yeah, it's great. Like, you know, when you hear people from Ireland nearly singing with an American or that kind of transatlantic kind of voice, you just kind of go, oh. I think there's some really good new artists out there. But sometimes you hear a singer and you think that's a certain person you know. And then you look up the credits and you go, actually, it's a different singer, but she's doing the same vocal inflections and things like that. So there is a kind of a uniformity to a lot of vocalists these days. You know, you hear your voice in a video, you know immediately it's you. I, th- I think that it happens, you know, whether it's um, Arctic Monkeys or Ed Sheeran or Soak or whoever it is that sings in a particular way, then mm. people who admire them then also emulate that. I had um, a question about your songbooks, three mm. volumes of your songbooks. How did you choose what goes into which volume? Yeah, they, they are actually chronological. I have enough records out to do volume four but it's really expensive to make and yeah it takes ages so yeah but volume three is now out yay i was going to ask you about i mean the orchestration on our love goes deeper i mean it's kitchen sink stuff it's there's so much happening in it it's a fantastic record how much of that would you be involved in in terms of the orchestration of a recording so I think Our Love Goes Deeper was orchestrated by Andre Skeet, mm. uh, who I met uh, touring with the Divine Comedy, actually. He, he is the keyboard player, piano player in, in Neil's band, mm. and would have done a lot of or- orchestrations for Neil. So he um, did the first orchestrations that I'd done, or, you know, that I used. Um, then Ben Castle, um, brilliant clarinet, saxophonist, composer. He's done quite a few arrangements for me and then also Michael Keeney a fantastic uh, orchestrator uh, from a band called Darkling Air mm, okay. uh, from Bangor um, he has done most of my stuff recently um, I, I was again like most things I do I was completely out of my depth the first time I played with an orchestra was again probably around 2006-2007 um, with the Ulster Orchestra in Belfast, uh, also in the bill that night, I think was Julie Feeney and Foy Vance. Mm. And yeah, I was so utterly nervous because I'd never played with an orchestra before. These people are incredible musicians. They play anything that you put in front of them. So um, how did it, it feel to, to do that? It, it was the most elating thing uh, you could ever do. Uh, to hear like 60 odd people playing um, being the band you're just lifted I know I can't undo what's done it's true I don't deserve her But your music kind of really suits orchestration. I, I hope so. I, I'd love to do more, actually. Mm. But I, I've done quite a few gigs with orchestra now. But 
Um, in recent times when I'm working with Michael, I would, we would sit down and, and talk about the kind of approach. So I, I, it would take me forever to, like, I couldn't do it to orchestrate. So I, I love working with people that are really good at what they do. So, um, for example, with Michael, we'd, we'd sit down and go, okay, I'm thinking this kind of maybe like a Mellotron kind of sound. And then mm. he would, uh, he's, he's burning because he understands classical music but also understands pop music so he he'd be able to go okay yes i know what you mean so then he'd uh, arrange it so the the flutes come in uh in a certain point and that makes it really mellotron or something that's the extent um and then he would send me like a rough uh with you know like a midi version of an orchestra we'd <laughs> back and forward about that uh so but that must be a joy as well i mean just to just to have say a pretty a finished song or, you know, in a basic arrangement and then for someone to send it back and it has a full orchestration on it must be a joyful experience. Yeah, It is. I Yeah, it's indescribable. It's incredible. Yeah, but like I said, uh, Our Love Goes Deeper, I mean, I could listen to that all day long. The, just the arrangement on it, it's just so, it's so layered and so deep. It's so interesting. And, and even if you took all the vocals out of it, you could just listen to it as um an instrumental piece it's fantastic yeah. I, I think it was maybe the prague symphony orchestra i believe it was yeah a czech orchestra i think played in that one but a, a great example of that one is uh of what you're saying is um a piece called cloud god on the album under the dark cloth which michael okay. arranged yeah and has this incredible arrangement with it that you could easily just listen to on its own the clouds are his body Oh, great cloud god above Come sing sacred words You did a lovely version as well of Last Night I Nearly Died with them as well, didn't it? Was that the RTO Orchestra you did that with? Uh, perhaps live, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic song as well. Yeah. I love that song. I just think the chorus of that is just so... <laughs> it's quite um, epic. It's anthemic. It's just a fantastic song. Can you tell us about that song? Well, it's about a number of things, but the, the kind of... Uh, seed of the idea was falling asleep at the wheel of the car and waking up as it scraped along the central reservation of the motorway coming oh. back from belfast airport i'd left a, a mate to the airport and yeah i fell asleep and i woke up as the car was scraping along um fortunately yep <laughs> i lived to tell the tale didn't hurt anyone else so that's that's the beginning of the song I shake that warning Last night I nearly died But I fall 
From this thing, I thought the story was, it was just like, uh, you had a dream about dying or something like that, you know, that's, yeah, that's well, a lot it, more terrifying what you described there. <laughs> yeah. But, but that idea becomes a metaphor and yeah, but there is something joyous about the course of that. Is that something that goes down really well live in terms of with the crowd joining with that? And Yeah, sure. It, it seemed to strike a chord. I, I, I didn't know so many other people felt like that. <laughs> heard you say you think it's maybe easier to write songs when you're sad do you think that songwriting is kind of a cathartic process kind of like journaling or do you still feel like that yeah i i I do i I think songs from your um own experiences or own emotions uh it's definitely easier to to articulate sad stuff because when you're when you're happy you you you're whistling, you skip, you, you're kind of on a high. You don't want to sit down and write and vent. You don't vent happiness. You, you, you vent anger and you vent sorrow and grief and sadness and um, confusion, all those kind of things. But happiness seems to be a more, um, yeah, it, it, you just kind of exist on the, on this high. <laughs> yeah, you do. But, but I, I think, if you're a songwriter, you, you try and just grab whatever it is. I think that's the difference between someone who writes songs and someone who doesn't is the doing of it. You wrestle this feeling or this experience into being. And that that's the only difference between a creative person and well, I think everyone is creative. Yes. But but like an an artist who um creates something from something that everyone else feels it's our job so we're not doing our job if we don't do that but it's our job to actually make it into something that that exists and uh, in my case is something that can be heard and that other people can relate to or that that it strikes them or whatever i suppose the happiest project i think you've been involved with was huckleberry finn those songs have a 50s Tin Pan Alley kind of feel to them. And they're like something from a musical, like Singing in the Rain or Oklahoma. Now, I know that was based on Kurt Weill, Unfinished Songs. Was there just sheet music or how did that come about? You're talking about the little EP. So a friend had given me a, a book of sheet music of Kurt Weill's songs. This is Kurt Weill who uh, wrote um, with Bertolt Brecht, uh, for example, um, moved to New York then. Uh, so in in Germany with Kurt Weill, he wrote Alabama Song, made famous by the Doors, oh. uh, f- for um, Mahogany, which is this uh, musical. When he went to New York, he wrote a lot of songs for for musicals, and and he was trying to bring opera to to the, the kind of to everyone, so that mm-hmm. it wasn't this kind of elite thing. So I ended up writing a lot of songs and. Um, he was in the middle of writing uh, a musical with a man called Maxwell Anderson in 1950 uh, when he died. So I discovered a couple of songs in one of these Kurt Weill books and then others and other different ones, the different volumes. And I realized that no one had ever recorded all five of these songs from the unfinished musical together. Mm. And then uh, a few years ago, I... So I recorded that, which was probably around 2009. 
And then a few years ago, I um, I had a post within the Lyric Theatre in Belfast as artist in residence. And I thought, oh, what I'd love to do is to complete this musical and, and to mm. finish it. Uh, of course, that's such an arrogant thing to do. <laughs> Uh, to think, uh, imagine someone uh, attempting to finish Beethoven's Unfinished Symphony or something, you know, it, it's it's crazy. So what I ended up doing with a, a book writer called Andrew Doyle was writing from scratch again. Um, we ended up uh, writing a, a musical based on Huckleberry Finn with all completely new songs. So you haven't heard that. So it's interesting to hear you talk about like Huckleberry Finn and that there's music out there that we haven't heard yet. And yeah, I've written six musicals now. Six musicals. Yeah, so they've most of them have been based in Belfast in the Lyric Theatre. There's one uh, which is in development for Landmark Productions. We premiered the first half uh, as a work in progress a few years ago um, at the Galway Arts Festival. So that was based on Pat McCabe's book, Breakfast on Pluto. Come in Morning is a great song from that from the Huckleberry Finn. I love that song. Yeah, it's beautiful. It was all there, though, music and lyrics for that, was it? Yeah, uh, so that was from Sheet Music, and then um, Paul Pilot produced that record. So, yeah, we, yeah, we just developed it. Um, but then, yeah, as, as I say, I probably wrote another 20 songs for um, kind of from scratch, Huckleberry Finn. Come in morning the story i love the innocence and the this unlikely friendship that existed between the the, the team when you listen to it it does have the kind of 50s musical to it you know like yeah. oklahoma sometimes that has that kind of sheen to it it's, it's lovely to listen to it it kind of sticks out actually because it's so kind of happy and so kind of bright you know yeah. <laughs> that it's uh, you could you could tell there was some other influence in there as well you know yeah there's an innocence about it because it's from this wide-eyed yeah. boy you know he, he loves nature um applejack's a darker song uh and i still include that in my in my live set um but that that's kind of about his father you know he's an alcoholic and all of that so what is this sweet nectar you bring me so sweet that i can't give it back it's just nothing but apple, said Satan. It's just nothing but plain apple jack. It was apple, apple, apple. It was apple, apple, apple jack. obviously completed your PhD and your Dr. Peter Wilson now. Dr. Duke. Dr. Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Duke. I believe your thesis is on the songwriter's version. Yeah, um, that's and, right. Uh, it talks about like, you know, setting poetry to music and being inspired by sheet music and visual art. But has the PhD and um, like shaped your songwriting style or made you think differently about songwriting? 
I don't think it shaped my songwriting style. Like it was a creative practice PhD. So I was writing songs and recording songs in the way that I would have had I not been doing that. But then I had to write a 60,000 word essay (laughs) on, on what the hell it was that I was doing. So that was the really interesting part because I realized I felt really uncomfortable about explaining why, you know, why did I choose this chord? Why did I choose this phrase? Why did I change this phrase of the poem in order for it to work in a song? And the the really interesting thing was the comparison or the similarities between people who translate languages, for example, a poem from, say, Spanish into English. They, they're almost having to rewrite it so that it works in the new context, if that makes sense. In the same way, like a painting, like how do you sing a painting? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you, you make decisions, you make choices. And all of this is to do with your own taste, your own experiences, your own, um, the things that you like or don't like. And in the same way, a translator does that you know it it used to be that the translator was invisible so you picked up a book and you just assumed that Victor Hugo wrote in English but of course not someone translated that and they were making changes they were deciding things uh, based on their own taste their own viewpoint or whatever I, I never imagined that I would be studying within a center for translation and interpretation in Belfast, but that's where I was based. I was learning about the, the ethos, the ethics, the whole history of, of translation studies while I was writing these songs. So I, I just felt incredibly enriched through the whole process. Some people feel reluctant to to learn to read and write music because they kind of feel if if they know the, the tricks and that they, they lose their natural writing style like that. So obviously you don't have that fear of being too academic about it. No, I, I did have a fear. I, I was worried that if I wrote and thought about what I was actually doing, that I would kind of lose something. But mm-hmm. I think one of the big takeaways that I, that I uh, got from it was that like inspiration, creativity, it isn't about, because one, one of the people I wrote about was Modigliani, who was this Italian painter and was is kind of the archetype tortured artist, um, you know, that, that was had massive addictions and, and really, you know, was known as a wild man in, in Paris in the early 1900s. Um, so I, I was kind of drawn to uh, what what's going on with him, you know, what made him tick. And in the process of 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 kind of looking at all this stuff, um, I I thought a lot about creativity and, and what is it that makes like a good song? And do you have to be off your head to write a good song? Do you have to suffer to write a good song? Yeah. And I I I think there's something about honesty is the center of that, and there's something about play. There's something about making connections with things, not editing or judging your work, just kind of putting things together that shouldn't go together and seeing what happens you know that that's where original ideas come from i think it is interesting you you would say come across people that are very accomplished musicians and say even classical and they they just don't write they'll play anything in front of them but they don't have the writing bone maybe it's perfectionism there's no creativity without vulnerability and 
So it's that like kind of sharing a part of yourself. There's no creativity without failure either. Yes. How on earth do you compare yourself to Beethoven or Shostakovich or whoever it might be, or to John Lennon or Paul McCartney? They're they're on a another level. Yeah. But I I think what I take great freedom and comfort in is that no one can tell my story. Yes. The way I can. No yeah. one can tell your story. Only you can do that. And I, I think then it's like fear is a is a massive inhibitor. And I'm I'm aware of this in myself because, for example, I still fear the guitar. I, I don't I don't feel like it's my friend in the way that the piano is. Yeah. Um and that that's something I really want to address is how to um get to know the guitar more. It seems ridiculous after all this time. But yeah, I I have a like, oh, there's so many great guitarists. I'll never be as good as them, you know. But I I want to get to a stage where it's my it's my friend and, yes. and I can tell my story through the guitar as much as I can through the piano. So Thanks. ongoing battle. <laughs> I, I suppose, you know, you're talking about sharing your story the way only you can share it. Your love of the gramophone and the sheet music and that kind of vaudeville or music hall inspired kind of influences in your in your work where where does that come from when I started performing solo after playing in a few bands I knew I didn't want to just get up and be a singer songwriter and I I was thinking about ways that would be entertaining I I suppose that that would hold people uh, that I could grab their attention without uh, you know people that didn't know my music or you know I didn't have very many songs at that stage so I was looking for ways to entertain. So I, I had heard about this vaudeville thing, the idea of music hall, and people had said some of my songs sounded a bit like that. So I, I kind of embraced that. And that would be people like Charlie Chaplin and Laurel and Hardy and uh, Buster Keaton and, and yeah, people like uh, Bob Hope, all these different people that grew up through that kind of world. And it would be like a variety performance that everyone just turn up in a music hall and then there'd be you know this display of different kind of content of characters of music items or comedy or whatever so i loved that idea of bringing people into that world with me sometimes having something funny then gives you permission to do something that's more serious and i, I liked not staying in a particular emotion for too long because life isn't like that life is this mixture this kind of weird tapestry of all these different emotions and highs and lows and and i i, I kind of wanted to reflect that a bit in, in a performance i don't get those pop and idol shows everybody knows the good things take a little longer to show I'm scared you want to go I hope we're a little stronger but I don't want to feel what everybody feels I've got more to lose they're not significant I don't care who's listening they're not in my shoes I know that everybody wants a little something something everybody wants a little something good that brings me nicely on to the song Condition. When I first heard it, it was it sounded like um, those positive affirmation videos you'd see on YouTube, but they're all, you are great, you are fantastic, you're top of the hill and all this kind of stuff. But Condition is just more human in terms of it saying, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm fantastic, I'm not. And it's just 
more balanced to something more real about it. And, and it's also funny as well, you know, you've you've got the dimension of uh, Deep Blue and a, a ZX81. And uh, as somebody who had a ZX81 um, as a kid, I got a bit of a laugh out of that. And yeah. uh, the other thing about that song is the words are crawling back inside the ink. I think it's a fantastic line. It's a brilliant line in that song. Can you tell us about writing that song? It sounds like a stream of consciousness. I wrote it with Boo. Yeah. He was living in a place called Ely in Cambridge. And we tried to write something the night before. And I came down the next morning and he just had this little chord sequence. Really super simple. Like E, C sharp minor A. That was it. Back to E. And I I was saying, I kind of want to write this song about the human condition. The fact that we're like... We're this, but we're also this, you know, it's, mm. it's not a, like, I, I've grown to love the gray, not only in my hair, but, <laughs> um, but just the, the idea that things aren't black and white. They really aren't where I live in Belfast. There's a lot of people think of things in black and white. And I, I love the fact that th- we're more complicated than, than that. You know, we're, we're just full of all these contradictions. So that that was the the kind of starting point. So then we started just going up. I, I was writing stuff down. Boo was writing stuff down. We we're trying things out. And well, I'm this, but I'm also this. And mm. so yeah, it just came out like a list. There's no chorus. It's weird. It's a weird song. We thought about putting it out as a single, and then it was like, oh, I don't think this is going to get played. But in a funny way, it's more inspiring than a positive affirmation video because if somebody listens to a positive affirmation video they kind of go i don't quite feel like this or you know that's not quite true but when you hear that song you go you might be having a good day for the first half of the day and then you know yeah. the evening goes to shit you know <laughs> so it's it's kind of an interesting song to hear just someone have a list like that i, I really like that song yeah um, most together people or most together families in the world have shitty times as well and and we're all in the same boat we're we're living we're living we're living then we're dead <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's no one's getting out alive yeah yeah so so the, there there is this weird dichotomy between you know really positive things all in the shadow of of it being such a short time you know yeah. so i am holy i'm disaster I am cracked I am an answer When all these fragments start to roar Playing like an orchestra Sometimes it's hard to hear yourself think It's like the words are crawling back inside Freewheel would have been, you know, one like it was this big, massive hit. And I just recently listened to your Four Corners interview and you sang it a cappella and you talked about how every time you play a song, you know, it, it feels different because you don't really like to repeat yourself. And I just I would, would love to hear you talk more about that. Funny, I was talking to a friend about this yesterday and it, it, you have to find a different way in every time. Yeah. If you go through the motions, it's um, 
like people can see that and and you don't want to do that mm-hmm. so for example with a song like free will which i i enjoy singing um but i have to you have to mean it every time <laughs> which is a bit yeah. weird As a result, then songs from years ago um, that that you're a different person now. You've moved on, but you have to kind of climb back inside that song again, in a way. Mm-hmm. And it means something different mm-hmm. to you now, you know, yeah. that, than it, than it did. I mean, you could take any object that the an object that you had from childhood, for example, and it, you know, there's a certain amount of nostalgia, yeah, and good memories. But you know your relationship to it has changed. Um, that's maybe mm. not a good example, but well, it is because I mean, you, you see people there who who wanted a certain toy when they were a kid, and then when they grow up and they, they get that toy, you know, the action man or whatever they they, they <laughs> couldn't the parents couldn't afford. When they make money, they get it, but it's it's never the same because you're not a kid anymore, you know. Yeah. I, I I also had that experience with an action man. My parents probably <laughs> saved up and, and got me got me, me an action too. man. <laughs> I, I didn't get the one with the switch in the back, in the back of the head. Though. That was that was my thing. No, I I, th- I think a song is weird. There's some songs that I I don't sing anymore because I don't want to sing them because they're um, they're very particular of a, a certain time, and I don't. I'm not that person anymore. With free will, it's okay because I can still relate to it, you know, but it means something different to me now. You know, I, I can inhabit it. I can sing it and, and still mean it. I think at every age and in every part of your life, the lyric, I don't want to stand still, just has relevance to everyone. You kind of rotate them as well. So sometimes, like I was uh, chatting with a friend yesterday and he is a philosopher and he gives talks and, and things and he, he says sometimes you know when it feels like okay I, I can't inhabit this again you have to put it on the sub bench uh, on, until you feel it again you know that's why your first two albums are very commercial mm-hmm. and essentially pop albums I mean perfect pop albums was over the years you seem to got a bit more experimental and a bit more eclectic was there a point where you kind of said, no, I'm just going to do stuff that I like or, you know, project that interests me or rather than. Yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't by design. Um, a, a smarter business person would have gone, oh, that worked. Uh, let's keep doing that. Yeah. Um, but I, I suppose like a case in point, if not wanting to stand still, I, like I, I, in some ways I wish I could write another hundred freewheels you know people say oh would you not do more like that i don't know how to do that you just write whatever is going on 
But you, you follow know? your heart. Yeah. You remind me a bit in a way of, say, Elvis Costello, where he'll just find a project that he likes and he'll just follow that and not worry about commercial aspects of it. And and sometimes yeah. people really gravitate towards that kind of thing. So he'll kind of yeah. get a new audience because of it. The difference being even his worst selling records, probably. <laughs> so I'd sold my best selling ones. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've definitely gone like an artistic route where I've I haven't tried to embrace being commercial or I, d- I didn't want to do that. Um, I think with new stuff that I'm writing, I want to not go back to being commercial, but I, I want to um, for a period of time at least and uh, talk about things that are affecting me. And as as you will know, both of you, as a songwriter. You know, your your hope is that the songs you write chime with other people. You know, yeah. that that that's that's the greatest feeling as a songwriter. That that's and that's your job is, yeah. is to write write stuff that 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 does that. So I'm hopeful that, that the the next things that I that I write will be off that ilk. Are you listening to any new songwriters or yeah, yeah. Um I'm writing a little bit with a, a friend, uh, an amazing songwriter called Kieran Lavery. And uh, so I'm enjoying his music. Also, Joshua Burnside. I'm, I'm absolutely loving loving his stuff. Uh, Alex G, I've come across recently, really, really enjoying. Uh, he was heavily influenced by Elliot Smith, who I really like. Can I ask you about like, the song Wingman and that? It has a kind of electronica feel to it. Yeah. Was there a team in that album? Or? It was one person, a guy called uh, Phil Wilkinson, who's actually the brother of Paul Pilot. So we'd we'd written various songs together in the past, for example, uh, Digging an Early Grave, I Never Thought This Day Would Come. Um, what else? Uh, some others from earlier EPs. So we'd kind of collaborated together and he also drummed with me when we were doing like a bigger band and he'd been producing and recording himself and I suggested that we work together and, and come up with a, a body of work that he produces and um, so yeah so that that was how that one came out so is yeah the clothes are the songs are dressed in particular clothes in that record um, which I really like actually uh, yeah, definitely more electronic and things. I love the production on it. I mean, it's yeah, just just as sonically. I mean, listening to it in the headphones, it's just very interesting what's happening in there. When you say look at machines, what do you mean by that? I think it was a, a push against conformity. You know, the idea of uh, everything being machine led and cookie cutter and just that, that idea of having to conform. I'm not a good conformist. To the to the machines, to the man, to the uh, system, I suppose. It's just a slight irony that that was kind of electronic. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. I get the gun machines, and here they come. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't look out, comma machines. <laughs> yeah, that, maybe that would have been more appropriate. Most people's looks change over the years, you know. Yeah. I was just wondering, you know, like where does kind of Duke special stop and? Peter Wilson, start. Yeah, it's a good question. I I think for a lot of years, um, it didn't stop. It was Jake Special took over. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
I think during lockdown, it was a bit of an existential thing, cutting off my dreads so I mm-hmm. could so I could grow. And uh, now I really miss my dreads, <laughs> yeah. so I'm I'm growing them again. Well, I've, I've a few little baby ones. Going to see what I can fathom. Was that a way of you kind of just creating a persona to hide behind a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Just the, the the idea of walking out on stage just myself felt really, really vulnerable. So um, it felt really liberating to to have a kind of a, a name and a look and something that was heightened. I suppose yourself and Neil Hannon seem to have both an English and Irish flavour to your music. And I mean, do you think growing up in the North gave you a unique perspective on both cultures and fed into your music? In what way would you say that what I do is English and Irish? There is kind of an English music hall kind of feel to some of your songs. But then you've done, say, like an album of traditional Irish music as well. But, you know, yeah. you, I suppose you, you experience both cultures living in the North. Yeah, that, so. that, that's really true. You, um, I, I kind of feel similar to Michael Longley in, in that respect. I remember reading something he'd written about Seamus Heaney, you know, who just felt Irish through and through. And Michael Longley had this kind of um, like dual citizenship. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I suppose I, I do feel that. I feel I feel Irish. Um, do you feel British? I'm not sure I do, but I feel I feel part of the North, part of Northern Ireland, yeah, and its connection with with uh, with the UK. So, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's re- it's really weird. I, I think you're right. There is this duality. There's a a kind of strange um, s- search for identity, I suppose. Um, that if maybe I lived in Cork or Galway or Dublin and, you know, was just felt that identity much stronger, perhaps. But, but the, I mean, you, you look at like uh, bands like um, Fontaine's, you know, and, mm. and, and they're drawing massively on, on uh, bands like The Cure, you know, or English. Mm. So, and, yeah. and um, like so much American influences and, and to and froing between America and here. Yeah. Mm have have influence so yeah no but what i'm getting at really is is because you came from that and you you see the two different cultures there you you end up kind of viewing it you're seeing it a lot more than than we would say in the yeah, south that, and it ends up kind that's of true. you end up kind of maybe commenting on it or, or kind of reacting to it or not i'm not saying that it's part of your persona per se but it's just yeah. something that's in your in your world you know something that you experience yeah. I remember um, the band Sigur Rós uh, being asked, you know, did Iceland affect the music that they made? Yeah. And um, one of them responding and saying, well, I, I'm pretty sure we would have made a very, very different record if we'd been born in the Caribbean. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I think I, it, it must do. It must do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I agree. Of all your songs, what song do you think gets overlooked? The song that you kind of think people should know this song better or you know or you expect it to be well more known because you think it's one of your best well um a song i really love singing live uh which is from the last record that i brought out in 2018 from hollow is a song called emily dickinson and i <laughs> i think 
I think that's a really good song. The words are by, by Michael Longley, but again, there's no chorus. But I think I think it's a really beautiful song, and yeah, I'd, I'd love more people to hear that. In your house in Amherst, Massachusetts, though like love letters you lock them away. The poems are ubiquitous as dust. You sit there writing while the light permits, while you grow old. I've got a record coming out in November, uh, which is going to be called Blood for Ghosts. And it's the the kind of tail end of the project-y kind of ones. So it's songs based on old song sheets. I've written new music for a couple of them and uh, new lyrics for one. But they're songs uh, between 1850 and 1940s that uh, I discovered from an archive. So that's mm-hmm. going to be... Uh, um, another kind of slightly odd uh, concept album, I suppose, but that, that's going to be called Blood for Ghosts. I dined the hell I went one morn, a lovely maid I spied. Her Bright as the dew that wets Sweet honor's bird inside And where go you, sweet maid, said I She raised her eyes of blue And smiled and said The boy I wed, I'm to meet What advice would you have for aspiring songwriters out there? Um, for aspiring songwriters, uh, there's no formula. Just write loads. Um, co-writing is a really wonderful way of uh, growing as an artist. Um, but no one can tell your story. So no one else apart from you. So we need you. Um, do it. Just keep keep writing loads the more you write it's like any exercise or muscle the 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 better it gets you have to write a lot of shit stuff before you get to anything that's good um and yeah be inspired by lots of different people don't be don't just draw on one from one well um put the bucket down lots of different wells and um all those different influences uh things that you grew up with all those things are are that's the stuff. That's the stuff that, that makes it original. Yeah. There's a few songs that, that we didn't get to. Is any of those songs you want to make a comment on? Um, if I don't feel it anymore is interesting. I, I wrote that with a, a German songwriter called Daniel Benjamin, who Paul Pilot had put me in touch with. 
And he came over and we wrote that in a little room above a tanning salon in East Belfast. Um, and that has Ian and Miriam Archer and back and vocals. Ian Archer, uh, Snow Patrol and uh, amazing songwriter that you should have in this podcast if you haven't already. <laughs> that was the origins of that song. And if I don't feel it anymore I still can't believe it If I don't see it anymore Still I know it's for sure I lied to you so long and something needs to change to fall away leaving truth within my life to release and drink those memories like wine so peter thank you for being on songsmith absolute pleasure talking to you yeah, we're delighted to have someone of your caliber on the show. Uh, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, it's a pleasure to blether away about, about such things. I suppose one of my takeaways from um, the interview with Peter is how he starts writing a song and that he said the hardest bit is knowing about what to write about and mm. that he kind of referenced play and not editing yourself and like just kind of throwing lots of ideas out there. And then when you get those ideas, just keep writing and then talks about first drafts and subsequent drafts. So it was all about really what was that kernel of inspiration and then kind of putting putting those ideas, putting that idea together. I really felt he kind of talked about enjoying the process. And like, I think that's kind of inspirational in, in itself. He obviously works hard at it, but you kind of felt it was for the love of it, really. And he wasn't trying too hard all the time. I suppose one of the interesting things I found about him is how he can rise to a team like, say, the Huckleberry Finn musical or the photographs he was presented with. So he's really good at taking an idea and developing it into a, a song, which I think works really well for him in projects like the, the Photograph Project, where someone can present him a small nugget of an idea or a photograph, and he can turn that into a complete song. And that, I think that's a really good skill in itself. I think he's very thoughtful in the way he writes um, he seems to get really deep into some of his characters that he, he writes about. He talks about being curious, but not only is he curious, he stays curious. He kind of practices his curiosity. And that is reflected in that diversity of projects that he's been involved in. The other thing I'd say about him is that when he first came on the scene, he was pretty much known for writing classic pop songs. And I mean, he could have continued doing that. but. I think he just follows his own curiosity and his own interests. And I don't think he's somebody who wakes up one day and says, I'm going to write a pop hit today. I think he just writes what he's interested in. And it just shows his commitment to being an artist and to being different and diverse. 